Hello, and welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host, Wolf Tyvey, Editor-in-Chief of Palladium. Today, I'm joined by Saffron Huang. Uh, Saffron recently wrote an article for us about her experience at Harvard and the general situation of elite education at Harvard and how those things are not necessarily delivering on on what they're promising, uh, not necessarily delivering on the mythology. So I wanted to bring her on today to dive in deeper into that kind of talk more about her experiences and talk talk about how these sorts of situations, how this happened and how the situation can be fixed or or um, changed or, or better advice that we might give each other as we're going into these things. Um, and also we can talk a little bit about what elite education should be about. So thanks so much for coming on, Saffron. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's start, I guess, with an overview of your experience and and your article. So you grew up in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, and, and then somehow you got into Harvard and I imagine that was a very exciting experience for you, but it didn't turn out to be what you thought it was. Is that right? Yeah, I think in many ways, the like the amount that you know about, especially when you're coming from a place like New Zealand, um, the amount that you know about what the experience at a place like Harvard is like is pretty limited. Um, You see stuff on the internet, but you don't really know anyone. And particularly abroad, I think it's a very mythologized place because in the US, there's a lot of people who will sort of bag on Harvard graduates um, and say that they're like, very self-absorbed or whatever. But I think abroad, it's mostly just, wow, you must be like, insanely smart <laughs> and it sort of ends there um so i think going into it i i really just wanted a much better quality of education than i knew i would get if i stayed at home um right. yeah the, i think the top ranked university in new zealand is like number 300 something in the world so it's just wow. like worlds apart um and yeah i started thinking about this in year or like grade 11 maybe um right or yeah like year year 11 because i saw a few kids from around the city get in to ivs and mit um and so that kind of planted the seed and i knew that like my opportunities at home were kind of limited you don't have any large companies setting up their home bases in like there are no headquarters in New Zealand really of anything mm-hmm. and there's not as much industry diversity um mm-hmm. so i i just this was like a very good ticket to something that i didn't know much about but um i knew was a good deal especially with financial aid i mean with respect to sort of the mythology of harvard i think even in the united states you know it's it's it has a very good reputation right it, it's this is where the smartest, uh, you know, the best and brightest kids go there. And, and there is this mythology of, you know, Harvard is shaping the elite. And, you know, that's that's not unfounded entirely. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what it's like abroad, so to speak. Um, I grew up in Canada 
my own, my mother went to Harvard, so I, I guess oh, okay. I have a little bit of I have a little bit of the inside picture, but I did not myself actually go to any school of note, uh, though I do think I got a good education. But yeah, I mean, my, my impression has been that that definitely it's well respected. I mean, you, you hear people bagging on bagging on the thing, but it really a lot of it comes from a place of resentment, right? It's like, oh, it, you know, it's the elites or like it's it's these 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 kids these days or whatever, right? It, it's right. kind of that that kind of vibe. Um, but I think I think the, the reputation holds. Did your mom influence you either way on on the idea of Harvard? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure my parents were much able to influence me at that age. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I got a good impression from her, right? I, I got a good impression. I think she got a good education. Um, I think obviously my parents would have been happy if I went there, but, but I, uh, I was not in that mindset when I was that age. Um, (laughs) but I guess coming back to, to your experience, it's like, so you got in and what was it like? I mean, you 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 get accepted to this school. It's it's you know they're asking they're they're wanting to like take you up on your dreams in a way. Just just tell me the story of of kind of getting in and and then sort of getting your education there. We can and then you know we can allude to some of the stuff that you mentioned in your article along the way. Sure. Yeah. So I think going there, I was. I mean, it's a you you meet people from all of the world and um from at least at least I did kind of coming in and doing the international programs um and it's very like you don't really get a sense of people as their achievements at the start I think um so a lot of people I mean these are just kids like everyone's just looking to make friends and like totally new environment completely divorced from their networks um so it's not like people have this like built up thing already everyone is starting from scratch so it's it's a pretty it feels pretty equalizing like you really don't know very much about people and sometimes people are trying to get away from who they were in high school but i was quite i think i was quite like just caught off guard by like the dynamics that start to emerge slowly um as you as you spend time there Mm -hmm. where people are trying to yeah they're 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 very like conscious of their images and they're very conscious of like what looks good to join or what looks good to do um and i think i probably came in there with more of a sense of oh like we all made it already right like we're just kind of right we can just, I don't know, do things to kind of free ourselves from some of those things. Right, um, just focus on growth. Yeah, um, maybe a little naively, but I think that that's what I, I was looking for. Um, right. A bit of a respite, but I think that people who are used to um, the grind, even they, though they thought that, you know, it was instrumental for getting to Harvard and not actually like that or something. Um, that's, that's what they're conditioned to do. And they're maybe when you take away a structure or like give you a new structure to climb, um, it's kind of the like default impulse to do that. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask like how much, how much of this is shaped by like the, the way that people have had to construct themselves on the way there. Right. It's, you get a lot of these people with big dreams 
um, and especially people who are good at sort of presenting themselves as having big dreams, presenting themselves as having big things going on. Um, that's that's kind of, I guess, like you're saying that that's that is somewhat instrumental to getting into these elite colleges. And then once you're there, that's your sort of default mode of existence. So I guess like without without sort of some other force applied, you would you would just kind of continue carrying out uh, that's that sort of uh, mode of being. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that it's not. I read a article by Steven Pinker recently that someone sent to me after they read my piece, and he says that the Ivy League lottery may be irrational, but it's not irrational to want to win it. And I think it's pretty, I, th I think that feels true, at least from what I, I can see of, like you have parents that want the best future for their kids. Um, yeah. You have kids that, you know, are oftentimes sort of guided by their parents, um, what they're bright and they're told to do certain things to kind of continue to get that validation. And then often you have like kids who maybe like the, the money, um, like the, the value that you get out of an Ivy League education compared to the money that you put in, like that value is very good for a lot of people um, because mm -hmm. of the super robust financial aid um, that a lot of them have. So it's like, yeah, why would you pay like 60k per year for a average like a very average education at a not named brand college when you could pay less for like a very insane research facilities mm -hmm. amazing professors like a very like invested community and like prestige right so it makes sense to want to win it but i think that there's definitely like a sort of conditioning that happens that just kind of just becomes part of the way that people respond to things and it's it's probably a, just just that con that competitive the competitive drive to sort of win it uh as opposed yeah. to just just getting the thing itself yeah and the collection of you know badges of prestige um and it's a thing that is not just i th i think that this is maybe a more general trend in education um, rather than just like people who get into Harvard, but yeah, it's definitely like very visible at the school. So let's let's go a little bit more, I guess, into that that question of the value of the thing, right? Like like you know, it's it's easy to paint sort of your article as being somewhat pessimistic about it. It's sort of like you go there, it it kind of like dampens your ambitions and so on. Maybe it wasn't worth it, right? But but I now you're saying like actually there there actually is this really high quality education there and and this sort of prestige attached to it and this this credential that does in fact empower you in a great way so let's talk a little bit more about that like what what do you feel like you got out of it was the education uh did you find the education to be really good um what were the things that i guess were were surprisingly good or or just tell me more about about sort of the the value proposition as, as you actually experienced it yeah sure um so i think that people like you can get very different things out of Harvard depending on how you choose to do your like trajectory through it and totally. although um yeah I, I'm relatively like pessimistic in the article I think that I got so much out of um my education it wasn't the easiest <laughs> it wasn't like 
you know, sunshine and rainbows, but I focused a lot on my academics more so than I think a lot of people that I knew. And uh-huh. I took a really, like I would take over the normal course load every semester and I took a really wide breadth of classes. Um, I would be taking classes in like economics, government, like film studies, lit- like I, I did a language citation in German. Like I'd never studied German before, but I was like, when else am I going to acquire a new language right. from scratch? Did a lot of CS and stats and applied math type stuff, which is what I concentrated in. But if you looked at my course load, it's just kind of chaos. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I also developed interests that I had as hobbies um, and like I I took a photography class which gave me more of the theory behind the thing that I was interested in right more on an experimental level um so I think that it can really flesh out your understanding of the world and it 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 really did for me because I didn't come from a a background where you know it's not like being well-read and like the classics or in history or something was really prioritized in my household and it's hard to know what where to go and like what to do for that kind of thing but this is a very good like this was yeah it was just like such a catalog of different opportunities especially academically and I did a lot of research as well in different fields with different professors and that was pretty fun and really just like dabbled I think I yeah um dabbled a lot and never I didn't stick with any extracurricular all four years um except for one group that I was in that was more of like an identity focused group Mm -hmm. but like in terms of actual stuff I was working on I really just tried to try different things and now I feel much more comfortable narrowing down on like what I'm actually interested in and care about. Right. So in some way, I mean, in some ways that sounds like what you're sort of supposed to do, right? You're dropped into this environment where there are all these resources available and you basically have this opportunity to go and explore this stuff in a very intensive way, uh, learn a lot of stuff. And and so it sounds like you actually made uh, what sounds like the right choices, but at the same time, you're sort of reporting an ambient pressure from the environment to do something different, maybe? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I made the right choices for me, but um, yeah, it's maybe if you came in and you already knew exactly what you wanted to do and get out of it, your path would look very different. But yeah, there's there's the ambient pressures are quite strong. And I did, I think I struggled with that um, quite a bit, especially during like, sophomore junior year when you don't have the freedom that freshman year comes with mm-hmm. but you're not like at the end where where you're set or something right so you don't think you were necessarily caught up too much like this isn't kind of you looking back on on uh your experience and what you did and, and noticing like oh i was diverted from what i should have been doing by this pressure this is more like you were noticing these pressures at the time and kind of taking the track that you thought was was best which is a little different from from what the pressures were but i guess you must have been seeing classmates and so on um doing more of like chasing the competitive parts 
Yeah, I think that I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely susceptible to pressure and right. I, you know, I cared about my grades and I, um, recruited for, you know, junior year when I was like, damn, I've spent all this time trying different things, but I'm still not entirely sure. And I don't feel like I have a cohesive picture anymore. Let me just recruit for a wide range of things, which included consulting. And I'm glad that I didn't end up in consulting, but I'm not saying that I'm perfect. And um, mm -hmm. I, I have like, I've done the coffee chats, I never wanted to go into finance, but I like did the consulting coffee chats and I thought about it because. Is that like interviews with them? It's like just getting to know what they do. And it's like this whole part of this recruitment process that is like very elaborate and drawn out. Um, and at the beginning you go to like info sessions and coffee chats and like get to know the people and then you apply and interview and they fly you out. Um, but yeah, like I, I you know, I, I went, it felt like the first, literally before like classes even started or the first day that classes started on the first day back, junior fall, you know, the, the vein, like infam information, information session was that night. Mm -hmm. Um, the McKinsey one was the night after and the BCG one was the night after that. So as soon as you're back to school, like it starts. And I remember mm. everyone went to those sessions and it was like, you showed up and you were kind of like, eh, like I'm iffy about this, but like everyone's here and I'm catching up with people about this summer at this like recruiting event. So it's very like, it, it's a it's a pretty strange vibe. And I think everyone, feels that it's mm -hmm. kind of off, but it's not like people really know how to fix it. So how much do you think that that kind of like weird vibe and, and the competitive dynamics that you're describing, it sounds like it didn't derail you, but how much how much of a of an effect do you think that has on the on the educational environment? Like, do you think it makes it actually substantially worse uh, for some people uh, or for you or, or like I'm I'm trying to delve into like how you're seeing kind of what's gone wrong or like to what degree things have gone wrong or where mm -hmm. um, in, in how this environment is kind of like presenting its ideals. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think it really derails a lot of people and a bunch of people have reached out to me since the article was published. Yeah. And especially since it started circulating amongst my peers, it's just kind of privately saying, yeah, like this was, this just really hit home for me or mm -hmm. it made me anxious to read because I felt like I've caved into a lot of these pressures or they're saying that like, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I came in not knowing what consulting or uh, not knowing what consulting was, but I'm finding myself prepping for these things. And like people have said some pretty like gut-wrenching stuff. Right. And I think that it it has touched a nerve with a bunch of people. So yeah, I, I think that people really do come in with very hopeful ambitions and they're like very impressionable. And I think mm -hmm. especially because they're all in this entirely new context that they're not familiar with. So it's, 
it's and it's it's something that I think a lot of people kind of think about, but there's also not enough time in college to really people don't give themselves enough time to sit down and really like introspect on a lot of things that are important for them and their future and and why is that is that because they're caught up in competitive dynamics or is it just because they're busy with the classes they actually do want to take or or like i you mentioned in your article for example that you know people don't have time to read books in college that is an interesting quip uh where's that coming from why why do people feel kind of like constrained it's it's a bit of everything people are often caught up in extracurriculars that take up like i don't know 10 plus hours Mm -hmm. a week for one you know for your main extracurricular um people like athletes are rowing or doing whatever and they're training for like four hours a day three four hours like it's there are things that are not um that are just people are just doing that are very that keep them very occupied right and i found that i mean there are different pockets of harvard that's a thing like you definitely find pockets of people who don't do much and just hang out with each other mm-hmm. um which is probably very healthy but i found that it's when you when i have when i have had a less busy semester i kind of sit around and i try and find people to hang out with and do new stuff with and everyone's like oh no I'm too busy (laughs) so then you're Mm -hmm. like well might as well you know find some stuff to get busy with because everyone else is busy um and if you don't find yourself in a more laid-back group near the start I think it's friendship groups are also often pretty solidified um yeah so it, it kind of people kind of silo off into their little groups so if you're like well crap like i want to find more people who think the way that i do now that i have a better sense of the way that i want to be it's kind of hard to make new friends right well and this comes into kind of the role of the institution right i mean one of the themes of your article is that the institution has kind of taken a laissez-faire attitude to the whole thing like okay you guys are here you're some of the brightest and most independently minded people you already you know know how to do your thing we're just going to give you some resources and otherwise hands off you know harvard does not coddle its young uh you're on your own this is kind of the frame of the institution and you could imagine the institution actually making a much more um sort of interventionist uh approach to these things in terms of like mixing people up to, to to reform friend groups when when people have sort of like more discovered themselves as a uh to, to kind of like prevent kind of entrenchment uh, of i don't know if the, if there's some you know the negative aspects of that or or just like more more guidance and you know you mentioned the kind of um the way the career services office doesn't actually end up doing very much or the, the the speeches that they give you don't necessarily help help orient your your education and your search and and your networking and so on. I'm curious to hear more about like how you're seeing the role of the institution in this, uh, both both positively and negatively. So I think that there are definitely certain like good influences in the institution. Mm-hmm. A lot of professors are very confused by and very much dislike the way that students kind of go into careers without really thinking or, yeah, you know, they're really talented at this thing, but they end up doing the same job as 
45% of their classmates um, and just the right. way that they they cave to these pressures. So a lot of professors, I mean, they obviously, like, for the most part, didn't choose to work at McKinsey. So they're like, what is going on? And the administration, you know, tries to say, oh, look, you have um, these privileges and we're trying to offer you some alternatives, but it's not... It's not really enough, and it's also not. Um, it's it's kind of divorced from what students are actually facing. I think I think they're like they don't quite understand or they're too far away from things, and particularly when there are like strong competing influences, it doesn't work. Like when um, you get you know emails from OCS every week and the the office of career services mm-hmm. and they highlight like the same array of jobs and they're chronically unhelpful um i've been to ocs a bunch of times and it's it's never been very fruitful um it's always been pretty myopic in terms of like tell us the ex- like the type of role that you want and we'll help you get it but they never when i try and like engage in higher level strategy questions um like the experiences that i've had with like going to the ocs advisors Mm. it's never like they don't have frameworks for this and i think they really need to overhaul the whole thing like examine their philosophy provide like things like i did um stanford's designing your life course Mm -hmm. a while back and that was actually pretty like like even that is like very helpful and I, I think that they're really leaving out a key crucial part of what they're doing where they're saying, here's what you should be doing. And students are standing where they are. Like, they're like, you should be, you know, going out and making a difference. And students are standing where they are and like looking at the like options available to them and like what their peers are telling them mm-hmm. um, and being like, uh, there, there's this massive gap between what you're trying to tell us to do and like how much you're actually supporting us to get there. Right. I mean, it sounds in some way like I, you, one thing you mentioned was, was just sort of like a degree of being slightly out of touch or, 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 or a bunch out of touch in the sense of the, the pressures and options you're actually facing from your peers, from these companies that are trying to recruit you is, is sort of just like a much more salient and immediate environment than, than kind of like, a, a relatively weaker signal coming from the institution, even though they they sort of have something they want you to do, but it's it's they they're not sort of applying the energy to really go and engage with where students are actually at, and and to kind of like bring those options into reality in a way, or bring that bring kind of the the aspirations into reality. It, it, like you could imagine a more I guess aggressive and energetic school that that take maybe a more active hand in in kind of like influencing things. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I actually like think that in speaking to Natalia and just like people at Yale, um, it seems like Yale takes a much more active role in this, but I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't really speak for them. Um, But it does seem like there's a more defined school culture a stronger network of alum especially going to right. public service and government and that reflects in the numbers right. for what 
people do straight out of graduation. Mm -hmm. I think 35, 36% of Yale graduates in the class of 2019 went into like an NGO government or other public institution. And for Harvard, it was 10%. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I, th I think that that just reflects a key cultural difference and yeah. something is something else is going on <laughs> over there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you hear those kinds of differences in the numbers and you realize, okay, these are actually different institutions. They're not just kind of like different quality levels on the same same stack, right? Like you sort of have this notion of university rankings and they're all doing roughly the same thing, but at the top there's the really good ones and then there's sort of worse as you as you go down the rankings. But but that sort of speaks to like these these substantial kind of uh non-fungible cultural differences between these institutions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is a good argument for the students that go like the incoming cohort between Yale and Harvard is not all not all that different. It's pretty much the same types of people that mm -hmm. they're looking for. And it just shows the influence of the environment in, right. you know, the environment that you're immersed in for four years makes a massive, massive difference. Yeah, um, no, environmental pressures are are absolutely critical in, in like forming, you know, what people want to do, their worldviews, their knowledge, their skills, their networks, all of this very much influenced. And yeah, that your school environment, when you're kind of just on the cusp of adulthood, uh, very much uh, acts acts on like one of the most impressionable times in a way. Who knows? Maybe people shouldn't be going off to college at that age. I'm I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, well, no, but I I mean, I think it that is the right age to be going to college, right? Because but because the college is supposed to be forming you in that way. So the question then is like, well, how should it be forming you? You know, it sounds like. Harvard is not necessarily, it's, it, Harvard is in some sense just forming people towards this kind of managerial role, as you were describing in the article, but it could be doing something very different, right? Like, and what, what, what should that be? This is, this is one of the questions I want to get into here, right? It's like, suppose we were going and, and reimagining this either for, you know, advice we were going to give to a student of like, here's the kind of education you actually want, here's what you should actually do at school, or kind of if we're reimagining the institution, what should the institution be doing? Um, these are questions that I, that I find really fascinating, right? Because this question of elite education is incredibly important. You have these people, some of the most talented people in society, being raised up to these positions of, of prestige and, and high education and connected with many of the, you know, many of the best networks and then and then thrown out into the world right and they end up in these positions of incredible influence um how they think about the world and and the skills and resources they have they're actually really important so i think this is like one of the most important questions in society is this question of elite education right so let's i guess concretize that down to looking back on the experience or if you were if you were let's say a parent instructing uh, a child who is going to a student or if you are a professor or if you were the office of career services or if you're just kind of a mentor to somebody what would you what advice would you give them of like what kind of education they should be trying to get and and how they should do that in the institution as it exists yeah i i'd, I'd love your thoughts on this too but um i've been thinking 
I've been thinking a little bit about like context and context preservation. And I mentioned that, you know, students are taken away from their personal contexts and they're put in this new place, um, which is a kind of, which is a kind of distancing that is maybe not, not fruitful, but, and, and I'm not sure what you could do about that. Like, why, why is that? Why is it not fruitful? I mean, because I guess it depends what's being done with it, right? You're, you're, by decontexting people, you're putting them in this very influenceable position, right? You see these incredible changes in people's sort of outlooks and, and personalities through college because of that effect. And, and in some sense, maybe that's the point. In another sense, I guess there, there are definitely harmful aspects to it. So I think that like, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword and that like, mm -hmm. I think that it's important to have a little bit of a balance. So stay connected to some other outside communities or like, you know, people. Another part is that you don't have to be divorced from historical context and mm -hmm. the context of society. And I think that, you know, what a real liberal arts education should be providing is that context and like historical literacy and, mm -hmm. and I mentioned this in the article, but I, I think this is a, a big problem because the liberal arts education that we get now is, I feel very piecemeal and not super cohesive like you take mm -hmm. you know you you take a class in history and a class in government but what you're taking is you're learning about like um the history of like you know you, the history of like computing in one and then you take a class in government and you're learning about like china and india comparative politics mm -hmm. and it's it's not going to form a cohesive worldview for you because right. you're like piecing together this thing and i think that's another question of guidance maybe or of being provide like being provided with resources and material to think about how to structure your education is yeah very important so let's let's drill down a little bit more into that concept of liberal arts i mean i think it's worth kind of reiterating what that is supposed to be and why that has been the standard for sort of elite education for a very long time it's the idea of liberal arts is it's like i think one way i've heard it described is like liberal in the sense that it liberates you right it it's mm. taking you it's giving you enough context about the world that you live in that you are now a free actor you are able to like actually see the real thing around you and uh sort of act independently on that rather than just following other people's scripts or or following the narratives that other people are giving you. Now obviously that's that's never fully possible. No one is no one is like a fully independent actor or whatever, but certainly there is this sense you know, of actually having that visionary context versus not having it. And, and like it's easy to see why this would be very important for for elites, for the people who are sort of supposed to be running society or at the top of things. Well, they have to be not just caught up in someone else's narrative. They have to be the ones kind of looking at the world as it actually is and creating the narratives. Um, and and so liberal arts in that sense are, are the things that give you that context, right? It's you study history so that you know what the grand story actually is and how these things actually go and what has actually happened um, so that you're not you know, historically ignorant about what kind of society you live in, where it came from, where these kinds of societies tend to go in history. And and just like the consciousness historically, it's incredibly important. 
and then talking more about like society and government and philosophy. These are, again, these key contextualizing knowledge bases that allow you to, when you see something going on, they allow you to understand it or they allow you to engage with your own worldview. Like this is, I think the value of philosophy is it allows you to actually critically engage with your own worldview and form new thoughts and like reconstruct yourself as necessary to accomplish your goals and to actually have coherence there rather than being, uh, again, just kind of like a pawn in some sense of, of the pressures that are around you. And then if you contrast that, I guess, with what you've described about this environment with all these consulting companies and so on, it's liberal arts is in some sense like the education that would give you the foresight and the vision to be able to look at that and say, no, wait a minute, that's actually not what I want to do or to be able to resist those pressures or to transcend those pressures. And so that's like, I, I just think it's very much worth reiterating what the purpose of liberal arts is and why it's important. And yeah, so I just find it interesting that you you kind of like, went to that aspect of it this this liberal arts thing and i think that is the core of it yeah i i really think that people people don't take like their academic education like i'm just surprised at how much people don't really take advantage of their academic education in that particular sense mm -hmm. and i think that you know there's 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 definitely some double think going on and uh, maybe a little yeah like cognitive dissonance but you do see trends among majors which kind of show this like i think uh, there's increasing numbers of computer science majors mm -hmm. um and they and, and and they're not getting that kind of education to fulfill their general education requirements you know they'll take like the the class with the lightest workload they can in right. you know in to fulfill whatever humanities component that they need to be doing um and so it's people aren't actually really conceptualizing it this way which i think is a shame because it's so much of the value of being at this particular school and yeah like having access to these professors and also having um like a sim a lot of seminar style classes which are small discussion based courses maybe 8 to 10 people plus your professor where you're yeah you're not just learning about history through a lecture um you're like actively sort of critically engaging in discussing um mm -hmm. and comparing these trends and learning to raise questions and sort of learning to think independently so yeah i think it's it's interesting because a lot of people who come in like really overlook this and you know people who are like who do go for these majors tend to be more i, th I think more aware of this but yeah by and large I, I don't think people really so maybe that would be one of the one of the like key points of guidance like if we're imagining sort of more guidance towards the the right kind of education um I, you know coming from parents or from friends or from mentors or or from the school itself just like more guidance on the actual importance of of these more kind of critical liberal arts sort of contextualizing studies that and and the academic aspect of that at the same time i guess i would add 
that I think I think one of the sort of pathologies we see in in our society generally right now is people sort of are either in the the more technical stuff, you know, the science and the technology and computer science and so on, or they're in the humanities and and they tend not to be a lot of a lot of crossover there. I I think so that that would be sort of like another another point I would add there is, is like I think it's actually very important to be getting a technical education as well in the sense of being able to understand science and technology and so on um because when you get these people you know in positions of influence or whatever through through with with a humanities education who aren't able to be technically literate that that leads to uh a lot you know a lot of problems that we've seen with kind of the coronavirus where people weren't taking it seriously because they hadn't some people blamed it on a on a sort of lack of of technical education being able to reason about the science of things yeah and i think also being able to i mentioned this in the piece but different um elites with different skill sets being able to actually work together um and actually coordinate amongst their functions i don't think people are really like in general not really taught this but also like at harvard i think it's an important thing to consider um but yes i agree how how, okay how do we do that because i i think that is a really important aspect right there's this elites are necessarily of of sort of different types right there's some people kind of working on the technology projects there's some people who are doing strategic leadership strategic historical leadership of society there's some people in politics there's some people in you know media whatever like there's all these different forms of power in a way um that that uh, an elite kind of has to engage with and and perhaps naturally you won't necessarily get a lot of collaboration between these different parts and and sharing of their strengths just because you know the people who go into one will will kind of just sociologically sort themselves into like a, a clique and not talk to the other ones so how do we how would you go about like making sure that the sort of strategic elites in different verticals of society actually are collaborating with each other effectively. It seems like it's, it's like we need to have people doing genuinely diverse things in this similar context. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think I said genuinely diverse because it sort of tries to remove that like mimetic, like the sort of competition mimetic rivalry type right. thing that might start to happen um, when people all ha- like are similar. So maybe at the point when people have like defined projects or like interests, like bringing t- people together to, yeah, to, to work on something. Like I, I think that this is a thing that Harvard could be doing very well wh- because mm-hmm. like it's a relatively diverse place in terms of like academic interests although it's getting more concentrating more now Mm -hmm. and you know you go away and ideally people would be going into similarly diverse professions and then sort of yeah like know those people and be able to work with those people right and i guess the challenge is sort of once people have really settled into their niche they're very they tend to be very busy and very focused on on what they need to be doing to kind of like 
execute on on whatever it is they're they're working on. Um, so they don't necessarily have the time to be going and forming these these sort of cross-disciplinary trust relationships at that point. So it really does have to be part of the educational process, I guess, to you know, set the tone of everyone kind of going off in their own direction, looking for their own opportunities, but maintaining a very thick kind of trust network so that when they're, you know, when they go into their various different projects, they they do have these these old kind of school friends that they they know and they trust who are maybe working in some other area. And when they want to ask them about, you know, what do you know about this technical topic or what do you know about that historical topic? There's there's that network uh, there that they can draw on and, and those collaboration lines of collaboration that they could draw on. So I guess what this could look like is you also mentioned the, the sort of dangers of this competitive mimetic environment of schools where everyone's trying to do the same thing. So the thing becomes just kind of like uh, who can be the best at it. And everyone just kind of competes along the same dimension. And, and that sort of happens in a way naturally and you have to sort of deliberately avoid it. Yeah. Um, so you might imagine the school kind of, you know, everyone arrives and, you know, freshman year and, and the, the, the tone is like, you guys are no longer competing with each other, right? You're not here to compete with each other. You're here to find your niche in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And form lasting relationships. Like this seems to be uh, an important aspect of the thing. And so I'm not sure how that, what that would look like, but I think that would be sort of the thing to pursue, right? Is the sense of like, we're not competing with each other. We are collaborating with each other as we each go into our own uh, areas of, of expertise. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a great idea. And also, I mean, it's not limited to, that sort of general idea isn't limited to places like Harvard. Um, I think that, you know, bright young people can find communities of other bright young people, especially with the internet. And it's, it's, I think it's harder to cultivate that diversity if there's no, there's no like overseer doing it, or, or maybe there are with like certain fellowships that like bring together young people. Um, but yeah, I think that this is a model that isn't like, that would be great for Harvard, but isn't limited to two places like that yeah yeah this seems to be something that's like just more generally this is how you do a good college education or even beyond that this is this is like what you want to be doing almost at that stage in your life it's just kind of like finding your niche and forming relationships with people who are going to be some of them in in your niche and some of them in other niches Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean we're getting maybe closer to i guess what kind of advice what kind of guidance we would give someone, you know, you put them in this environment uh, of, of Harvard or any other school. And you're thinking like, well, what, what kind of education do you actually want? Uh, Well, here are some, some aspects we have identified, right? One is definitely this, this kind of like liberal arts component, really taking the academics seriously on that, not necessarily for the sake of, of like, test scores or marks or whatever but in this in the sense of of actually learning a lot of stuff and then also having like a a little bit of a diversity of your education so that you have both 
a good liberal arts grounding and a good technical grounding. And furthermore, this aspect of like getting out of the com- the mimetic competitive rat race and, and just focusing on like finding your own niche, finding your own opportunity, doing something, something different, um, while at the same time forming lots of key relationships with people, with mentors, with friends, um, you know, et cetera. So those are like, I guess some aspects, like if, if we're sort of imagining, let's say there's some kids, we have our, we have our kids, we're sending them into the school, you know, here's what you need to be focused on. Here's what you need to be. Here's how you need to like be understanding this experience. I I think that's like part of this key thing, right? Is, is what, what guidance do we give someone? That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And I think actually another thing that I would add to that, that's a, that's a good list, um, is, being able to deal with uncertainty um, and structurelessness. I think yes. that COVID has been really interesting because, you know, a lot of people that I know who have lived highly structured lives have now seen a lot of that structure dissolve. And some people are like really thriving there. It's like, it, I think actually not structurelessness, but like being able to make your own structure, right. um, especially in times of uncertainty. And if you're able to do that and like thrive and roll with it, that's a, that's a very important skill because I think one thing that, that gets someone through a place like Harvard is like dealing with like, I actually just don't really know what I want to do. And everyone else seems to be surging ahead. Um, and rather than being like, well, I can't deal with that. I need to find the thing. Like I need to like hop on the train, um, being able to sit with those like uncomfortable feelings and uncertainty, um, and totally like being able to like, even just imagine alternatives, um, I think is like super, um, super important. And that is tied in, I think with like. A, a risk appetite kind of thing that I think right. needs to be cultivated, like more of a tolerance for risk, at least. Um, yeah. So this is this is getting at sort of like two related but but slightly distinct aspects, right? One is one is sort of being able to create your own structure, being able to operate outside of established structures, and actually going outside of those established structures and and, and learning how to do that. Um, but also there's this aspect of like psychologically being able to pop yourself out of the, the narratives of those structures so that you're able to kind of like make your own judgments about what you should be working on that aren't just like feeling the pressure from, from the world around you to like keep up or something, but rather you're focusing on, on something that, that you think is important. And these are like, as we get towards the, the idea of elite education like these are absolutely critical and i think you mentioned this in the article just like the degree to which the the elite needs to be the people in some sense who are able to operate outside of structure because they have to be the ones that are creating it they have to be the ones that are making judgments not just being judged that's absolutely right and being yeah like rather than seeing how you measure up against things like trying to do the measuring and that's like cultivating yeah cultivating that judgment and cultivating 
your like your intuitions and right so this this is another sort of like pillar of our of our elite education that we're building here um <laughs> yep <laughs> the, the true elite education i mean i so we're, we're kind of like getting towards I, I think like a pretty good conception of what this would look like right like in many ways a lot of the fundamentals are kind of right like we haven't challenged I mean, maybe they're not. Maybe maybe we're wrong in in sort of taking these assumptions, but we haven't challenged the idea of like college um, at all, like like in, in, as as just the fundamental model where you're taking a bunch of kids, running them through this very formative educational environment at the beginnings of their careers, where they're able to form all these key relationships and uh, and 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 do their exploratory phase. Basically, um, that seems like a very natural and important thing. And if you think about it. I mean, many pe- people do that kind of naturally in their early 20s, the, the like, key relationships being formed, key key like skills and, and knowledge bases being built up. This isn't necessarily just the college environment, but but there's sort of there's a bunch of these assumptions that we've kind of left intact like that. And I think maybe that's right. Um, but on top of that basis, we're talking about, OK, let's take a more conscious approach to that and really have some notion of which knowledge we want, what skills we want to build, that we are in fact interested in like in doing this kind of key networking and so on. It, it, that that, you know, the, these people become your collaborators almost for, for the rest of your life in some cases. That so this is this is sort of uh solidifying a model. Is there anything you think we ought to add to this that we haven't delved into in the sense of like if you imagine really how an elite should be trained what are are we sort of getting towards the right model or are we are we still falling falling short yeah i think that there's some a lot of like really good like potential changes coming out of this like the types of things that we're talking about mm-hmm. um I, I i'm also i'm wondering about like the selection criteria because honestly right. i think that that's something that a lot of people kind of take issue with and it forms certain types of people. So yeah, I think, I think it's like, obviously you can't completely rethink elite education in an hour. Um, but I think it's, it's like a important thing to flag. No, but I think we can get a good, uh, sort of, we can get a decent handle on like, what is this concept? Why is it important? Where, what are the general contours of, of how to do it? Like I'm trying to imagine, you know, one of your friends, maybe who's still at, at college or someone who reads your article and they're, they're just like getting into college now. Like if they listen to this podcast or they read your article or they read, you know, some future article that we have about, how to approach your education if you are t- intending to take it seriously in this way, I, I would hope that we can kind of like give enough context mm. that that someone's able to, to really draw some wisdom from that. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think I think these are good threads to be to be pulling on and thinking about in that regard. As for selection, that's that's sort of an interesting question, right? Of like so there's there's sort of two questions there. One is how does the selection environment shape what's happening at the colleges in the sense of, you know, you've selected a bunch of these very ambitious kind of, in many ways, validation seeking students and, and put them in this this elite, sort of elite environment with all these resources, you know, maybe a different selection criteria could produce a different result. But 
on the other hand, there's there's actually all these interesting political questions around well, who actually gets access to those elite networks and that elite education? It there there it's like an unavoidably political question, right? It's mm-hmm. like you you can only empower a certain number of people in this way, and so there's this question of well, who do you empower in this way? Who do you want sort of in the mix while you're forming this this kind of cohort? I don't know whether that's in our scope here, but it could be interesting <laughs> to discuss. Yeah, it's it, it's a very tough, it, it's a tough thing. I think like there's, at least at Harvard, like it, there's definitely been a trend, like a sort of shift towards accepting more, like a much more diverse array of students than they used to. It's sort of no longer just the school for like the wealthy or the money. Mm-hmm. Um, families kids but you know there's 40 percent of the school that's on full financial aid and that makes for a very different environment and people come in with probably very different conceptions of their place in the world like they're not told from they're maybe not told from a young age like certain narratives about their place in society Mm -hmm. and that's maybe yeah that's i think for the most part a good thing to have all these people from different backgrounds together, but I think it needs to be an acknowledged and talked about more frequently than it is. Um, I think right. Well, one of, one of the challenging aspects there is the. I think you probably need a lot more structure because, as you were saying, the people coming in from you know a much more diverse set of backgrounds that didn't necessarily have any have any presumption or 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 reasonable expectation of being kind of part of the elite or having that place in the world uh they're not going to have that worldview preformed they're just you know a bunch of kids or you know relatively talented kind of outstanding people um selected by whatever means we can talk about the selection criteria as well but they're they're not going to have these sort of like formed intuitions about what it means to get an elite education or what that's for or how you do it. And I think like one of the ways and then also talking about the money as well, like, you know, people can come in on financial aid and they're, you know, they're there, they're getting they're getting sort of the core product in a way. But uh, I think one of the things that these things actually go together in a way, like in my mother's experience at Harvard. Um, this was class of 72, I think they, she had this sense of there's, there's the people that were just kind of like let in from the middle class and lower who didn't, they weren't really clued in about what was going on. So they would just go through kind of the school environment, uh, follow whatever pressures were, were given by the institution, but they didn't have, let's say the resources, the money resources or the the sort of knowledge resources to go and get like the real thing the which is involves a lot more of that like you know meeting with professors for lunch which takes resources and so on like so, you know sometimes these really mm-hmm. trivial things can actually throw off uh, someone's ability to to get the education and meeting professors meeting meeting your friends like doing doing the kind of whatever entertaining activities that your friends or your your classmates are are going to want to be able to do you know that that takes money resources in many cases it takes or it takes knowledge resources to know what to seek out and so i think in the absence of that in the absence of that 
pre-existing base of, of resources and knowledge, this, the environment would have to provide a lot more structure to integrate those people. On the other hand, there's a sense, again, coming back to this political question, there's, there may be a sense in which like the, you know, the institution feels threat, uh, feels, feels pressured to let in a lot of people who, who maybe like, I don't know, the, the, the classes that are kind of in control of the, the university wouldn't necessarily otherwise let in. Um, and that is in a sense, they're having to kind of like give up some of their political power for someone else's power, right? They, they, because this elite education has this sort of power component to it. And, and so they may not actually be interested necessarily in actually providing that, that formative structure for people who wouldn't otherwise have it. And so you could sort of imagine these back channels at the school. It's like, yeah, formally anyone can get in, but only the people who really have the resources and know what they're doing are really getting the real education. And this may be by design. So this is these are like interesting challenges to to uh, that aspect of of the selection thing. Yeah, it's it's a, definitely a very like opaque and murky thing, especially with selection, um, where there's not a lot of like there's a lot of dissatisfaction. I think students have with like it's interesting because a lot of students like will criticize like legacy admissions and mm -hmm. um athlete privileges but like no one really has a good understanding of how all of this works in a kind of and how to change it in this sort of like meta way and right yeah there's definitely a lot of back channels like how you would want to change it like what you would actually want to do and whether that would actually do would actually work like you're mentioning all these yeah all these aspects that are kind of opaque like i think one of these things i think one of the themes in your article and in our discussion here has just been we've kind of taken the the notion of an elite for granted that there is kind of a minority of people with most of the power in society and um and and that they that they sort of end up serving their own interests to to a, a large degree while at the same time as like uh governing society and and making making sure ideally that things work for everybody but they definitely have this element of of kind of like maintaining their own power structure maintaining their own position um and this is kind of an unavoidable aspect of society these are the things you have to grapple with when you're talking about selection because again it's it's inherently you are empowering some minority right yep. the question is which minority and uh if that minority is sort of different and disaligned from the current ruling minority then there's the question of like well how are you actually doing that with what power are you able to compel the existing elite minority to kind of uh transfer their 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 power and authority and resources to this sort of next generation that that is maybe different from them and, and disaligned with them. So there's all these other questions involved in, in selection. And, and I think like to really engage with that question, you need to be able to engage honestly with the question of elites and the role of elites in society and to what degree uh, elite entrenchment is legitimate. And I think I don't think you can have simplistic answers to it. Like, oh yeah, we just we just totally want a meritocracy that that like doesn't respect you know the position of the existing elites at all. I think that's like a totally unrealistic perspective. For example, because 
it's in many like the existing elite is the actors kind of doing this thing so like why would they do that so so there's like ways that that you can get tripped up if you're not taking these questions seriously yeah we have problems when we can't see into the structure and the the like perspectives of people who are who do hold these positions of power um and Mm -hmm. because we you know disparage the idea of elites and it's kind of like people sort of elites denying being elites or or not realizing that they are one i think that at places like harvard you know that you're around extremely extremely privileged people um but no one ever like there's definitely extremely privileged people in the midst but I don't think that I have an understanding of like how these people feel about their positions right. in society, even though I've like lived amongst them for many years. And I, I certainly don't know how their family background has, you know, influenced them and what, what they've been taught and what their parents say. And like, you might think that I would know because I go to a place like that, but it's just, it's not something that people want to acknowledge and that just creates problems because no one really understands what's going on and you can't uncover like the knowledge that you need. Yeah, well, this this is very related to Natalia's article on how the elite kind of lacking any positive self-conception tends to start to present themselves or, or start to make make their position opaque or opaque even to themselves and they present themselves as, as lower class than they actually are. And this ends up leading to all these, you know, weird ideological dynamics, uh, weird sociological dynamics that, that in many ways are very harmful. And I think like that, that obscuring of whether there actually is an elite and, and whether any given person actually can take that frame of being elite is I think a huge important part also of what you were observing in terms of like shaping a more managerial class uh, at these institutions, like the managerial class is in some sense, like what happens when, you know, you're, you're ambitious, you're, you want to be upper middle class, you, you want to be um, doing well in life, but you also don't have any like positive conception that that's above uh, that that's, that's fully elite you end up with this this managerial thing which is like it doesn't take those same duties and privileges seriously it's more like like the upper middle class kind of managerial mindset is much more focused on like well i'm doing right by me and my family right and i'm i'm doing well for me or like maybe i'm helping out the world but it's not through like being right at the center of things and and having my hands on the power structure but by rather by you know, building these uh, auxiliary institutions and so on. And the trouble is that if you have an actual elite who who sort of naturally would be the actual elite that would be at the center of power, trained only to think like these sort of upper middle class types who have a less holistic worldview or less holistic view of society, um, just like more, more of that, like, I guess people call it the bourgeois mindset, you end up with the people actually in power, the actual elite, not having a consciousness that they're in power, not knowing how to do that, not knowing how to like actually wield their power and organize their power. And so you end up with, I I think, a lot of really 
dysfunctional dynamics in society when when things are actually run by people who aren't aren't formed with a, a conception of being the people who are running things. It's like it's like the underestimation of themselves is actually just super bad. Um, well, I mean, yeah, you, you end up underestimating yourself partially because like you haven't been taught to collaborate with other people, which is where your actual power would lie. Right. Right. Yeah. Like it, this comes back to our, our discussion of kind of collaboration between people working on different segments of society. If they're if you know, if you're if you're the head of some NGO and, you, you know, you founded this NGO or whatever, like it's some, you know, interesting, ambitious project. If if you're just kind of like focused on that and you don't have great relationships to uh, great, great collaborative relationships to people doing other things in other areas of society, then you're just kind of inherently in this, in this position where you have to, you're not in a position to consider society's interests overall. You're only really in a position to consider the interests of your project or, or yourself personally. And, and you're not in a position to, to act for society overall as well. Right. So you're, you're lacking power. Um, and that, Contrast that with the same person in the same position, but having a strong network and consciousness shared with the rest of the people in those kinds of positions throughout the rest of society. And you suddenly they are all much more powerful and much more able to actually do the thing they want to do, which is help work for the interests of society overall, or in many cases, that's what they want to do. Um, and, and so just like that simple that simple variable of the degree of of conscious networking around being in these positions and collaborating with these things, I think is a huge part of like where that the, the self underestimation comes from. Like you don't realize how much power you have because you're not used to making those kinds of moves yeah. and making those kinds of collaborations. Yeah. It's like a, a very like serious preparation for the potential and the accompanying responsibility um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, that, that you probably will love up to in the future. Um, and I think that people, part of this is probably a very myopic view on their own futures where you're looking three years out, but you're not right. thinking about like 30 years out when you are yeah. actually in that position and you have not like readied yourself for it. Well, I think this this comes back to the importance of like education and formation because I don't think that you know someone in their early twenties is actually capable of thinking like twenty, thirty years out. Right? <laughs> they're they're you just don't have the perspective. You haven't seen enough. You haven't formed your plans. You're so unformed, but you still have to be operating by that like twenty, thirty year logic, or else you're going to end up in the wrong thing. And so the question is, well, how do you square that circle? Well. I think this is where education comes in. The formation environment has to encode that long-term strategy, right? There, there, someone has to be thinking about, okay, these kids, as they're they're in their formative years, here's what they need to be doing if they're going to do the right thing by, you know, 30 years in the future. It, you know, by that logic, the thing they need to be doing is forming these key relationships that maybe aren't that important right now. You know they like form they like making friends, but they don't necessarily now have the perspective to realize the importance of of some of these types of relationships or some of these worldview formation aspects or or these other things, right? And so, 
like education, the, the need for education doesn't come fully from within the student. Mm-hmm. The student doesn't necessarily know why they need to be educated. It's, it's in some sense incumbent on the rest of society and, and these institutions of education to know why the student needs to be educated and in what way they need to be educated and what for, because the student doesn't necessarily know it, which means that you need to have these narratives around in the institutions and provided by the institutions of you should, you need to be thinking on a 30 year time scale or, or longer or whatever. And here are the things that we have figured out of the, of what you need to be focused on for that. Um, and so this comes back to this issue of guidance, right? If you don't have that guidance, you're not going to, you're not going to educate an elite that actually is, um structurally positioned well and you're going to end up with an elite that doesn't have as much power as it should and isn't able to do as much as it should uh and has the wrong mindset and so on i think i think this is sort of what you've been describing in your article yeah definitely i think you put that very well Hmm. um i think that like there's maybe one aspect where people say well what's actually wrong with consulting and i'm kind of and I, I think that there's people who like genuinely think that it is a good option. Um, I think that I take a, you know, regardless of like the specific merits for the individual, I think it's just like the concentration of a lot of people going into the same thing and not mm-hmm. like not being independently minded enough to like think for themselves. So there's this interesting dynamic here where we want an element of guidance. It just has to be like, and you know, students don't necessarily know, but it just, it has to be the right kind. And students, like you have to balance that guidance and those nudges to kind of help those students become independent thinkers still, like, and not be reliant on the same guidance that has taken them where they are. Mm-hmm. And and you you think you think like the consulting environment isn't uh, or or like the the fact that everyone's kind of going into that is somehow not helping with that? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the it's it's the kind of like excellent sheep idea of them being mm-hmm. really good at like taking the validated opportunities and not taking like risk beyond that right and i just think that there's so many other levers that people could be pulling on but yeah like like it's so it's not that there's something wrong with consulting as such it's like maybe it's an important role in society though i we could talk about like how what they actually end up doing but like you could grant that it's let's say it's an important role in society but but i guess what you're saying is that this isn't necessarily the place for people who are aspiring to have like a, a really like independent transformative impact that it, it's it's an environment that kind of favors just being excellent at this managerial execution but not at these kind of higher callings of of defining value and, and building structure and so on yeah although i do have i mean i i don't think that consulting is i don't think that highly of consulting um <laughs> obviously even though i like applied junior year i think that the world it's a pretty new profession and the world did fine without it but yeah i mean i'm curious about what you think does it seem to you that 
what is involved in consulting helps shape elite in some way like it does it just seem like well, i think it i think it does shape the elite i don't know that it helps um mm. i mean that's why i i sort of like put some caveats on like let's grant that that it is a valuable position in society um you know i think even if it was a, a valuable position in society you know i'd stand by my other comment that that uh it is in some sense sort of an auxiliary role not a guardian role uh in the, in the sort of platonic vocabulary in the sense that it's is this managerial execution excellence rather than strategic defining uh, visionary excellence mm -hmm. anyway so i i think my, my view on like what's wrong with it as such i mean you know i don't necessarily have like a, a strongly formed opinion here nor do i necessarily have a lot of uh expertise you know i have not worked as a consultant i've not worked with consultants um but but what i've seen just like from history especially like the history of the latter half of the 20th century is a lot of the kind of the transformations of our society that i consider to be negative in terms of like just this this sort of i mean some some people call it sort of like this neoliberal managerialism where where you end up actually defecting on a lot of implicit social commitments in in how the economy is structured there was a lot of transformation of the economy through the latter half of the 20th century in ways that i think kind of enriched the the richest people and and more or less didn't do much for any everyone else and i think the sort of management consulting industry was very much at the forefront of that mm -hmm. whole transformation like they were the ones going around to these different companies recommending these courses of action that were in in that direction and you know you could imagine perhaps a, a positive version of it where you have whatever the powers that be are rolling out some new management practices that are actually going to be better and the management consultants go around and kind of you know, help people implement those, which is, I think, kind of a way to imagine what happened, right? It's like someone cooked up some new new notions for how we're organizing the economy, and, and then there were these people going around implementing it. And I think that it may be that structurally the management consulting industry is necessarily of of the current form, which is that it's like, necessarily about these kind of uh i'm not going to say too much too strongly here just because i i'm not mm -hmm. sure of all of this but like it might be that like necessarily the role of of these consultants who come in with these these ideas they come in and and stretch the idea of shareholder value or stretch the idea of like what you can get away with legally as opposed to with the the implicit social arrangements in the company that may be structurally actually hostile to a healthy economy mm. now i'm not again i'm not taking a strong position there that's just sort of a hypothesis but yeah i mean I, again i th i think it's like the major issue in some sense it's like they're they're not directly at fault they're just sort of the, the foot soldiers of larger changes in the economy that were arranged at at higher levels but i think they are representative of perhaps the wrong form of uh, economics. Mm. Interesting. And, and then, yeah, like, like there's that component. And then there's the component of not being the highest calling in, in this sort of, I, like, not that it's not a, an important thing, 
not that it's not something that someone could you know make make a good contribution through but if if you're really like the kind of person who has great dreams uh and and the talents to to fulfill those dreams and you're put in these this position of eliteness through prestige like like a harvard education i think i think it is a step down actually to to go into some of these roles where you end up just kind of uh operating within someone else's machinery yeah it feels like the the kind of inherent like vagueness and undefinedness of consulting is is some kind of problem here where I feel like if you're really going to be elite like maybe what we actually want to see is just inherently very diversified pathways and yes that also proves overcoming the 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 mimetic rivalry that um sort of creates all of these bad psychological habits and i think when i think about like what actually are the guardian roles in society these days it doesn't seem like there's something you can just prescribe to people um like it seems like there's a lot of different places where people could be making a very significant and important impact and a lot of reorienting that could be happening but yeah like you can't necessarily tell everyone to do one thing because in some ways that defies the point of strategic yeah, elite it, right exactly and and i think i think it's key also in this notion of a guardian class that it, it is a little bit self-directed right and i think maybe that's the truth that uh is being got at with this idea of like not coddling people not giving people a lot of guidance from the institution about what exactly they should be doing it 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 you necessarily have the motivation necessarily has to sort of come more from within and and the people who are just kind of perhaps the type who are going to not be able to do that or are going to get caught up in the mimetic contests are just in some sense that, that it's it is sort of natural that they should end up in these roles like like consulting and and execution basically management etc um simply because that's it just doesn't require that same level of like self-directed strategizing. I think it it goes much beyond th- this whole issue we're talking about, though, of, of like this managerial elite situation, the m- mimetic um, motivations and so on. It goes much beyond like just consulting or, or just these schools or whatever. It, it's like pervasive throughout our culture right now, pervasive throughout our, our economy of like it's one of the major control mechanisms that we have in our society is that you get the vast majority of talented people hooked on this these these mimetic goods of like you know getting the next promotion getting the next raise getting the next car you know getting the bigger house getting that like instagram perfect lifestyle like there's so many things in our society are set up in a way where it drags people into this this kind of like competitive material mimetic motivational system and then that forms uh, this this vast army of people who are actually kind of easy to command because you just have to give them the stuff and then they do what you want Mm -hmm. there i there's sort of like good points to that maybe but i also find it quite distasteful at the same time but i think it goes far beyond like the school environment or the the uh consulting profession or anything like that these are just in some ways some of the first aspects of it that you might run into. Yeah, I I think so too. And just like sort of riffing on this, I wonder if this has 
anything to do with the increasing amount that we're quantifying everything um such that we can compare ourselves to each other like i really um you know all of yeah. these scores and all of these everything it kind of it's like it's like you provide a society with a bunch of metrics and then they sort of become really obsessed with how they stack up right right well this this the idea there like i think the issue there is basically what you have is embedded in those in that idea of like metrics and so on you have an assumption of scalarization like you're taking what is in fact a very high dimensional thing and you're reducing it down to like many fewer dimensions or just one dimension um and and related to that is sort of like these ideas of fungibility like that wealth is fungible and it's just like how many dollars you have and or the idea that that like you know your quality of a human being is is a scalar and it's like what school you went to and what their rank is and or like how much money you make or what what kind of like how exclusive the job you have is like and and i think these notions of like scalarization and fungibility are in many ways like one of the core tools that our society has been using for the last 100 years that that i guess we've gotten a lot of mileage out of it in some ways and especially in like industrial optimization and so on uh and in finance and so on but but you know maybe we're reaching the limits of those concepts maybe they were never so good in the first place i think that's definitely like what you're talking about is is by compressing people down onto these like low dimensional metrics you end up inducing this like highly competitive dynamic where everyone's just kind of chasing the same fake metric and and not sort of thinking creatively about like where to find a valuable niche in a very high dimensional ecosystem yeah and 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 along along those lines i think another recommendation i'd maybe give to my peers is to spend less time on instagram um right because <laughs> genuinely like when i got to college i was shocked at how much time people spend on instagram and i think that this yeah. things like this just yeah i really amplify these negative dynamics right i mean for some of us the vice is twitter but i guess twitter twitter's mm. i i'm a little bit partial to twitter but but it, it'll have a lot of those same dynamics where you're just like you want those retweets you want those likes yeah um yeah, I mean, it, it's it's critical to be able to unplug yourself from these dynamics. And I think like one more thing I would say on on this this question of mimesis is some of the way we've described being elite, like like that being elite is itself kind of this object of desire in a mimetic sense. Uh, I, I want to like dispel that a little bit and and uh, not reinforce that. In a way, like mm. I think it's it's a valid role to be elite if for someone who seems to be, you know, by whatever circumstances called to do that. And I think insofar as you are called to do that, there are correct ways to do it. And I think that's the spirit that I'm trying to describe. Like if you want to be elite, well, here's what you should be doing. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. But I think what we don't want to propagate is an idea that like eliteness is like your end goal, right? That yeah. this is what you want in life. In fact, I think people should be finding your niche is like much more the correct notion here because it's inherently like anti-competitive in the sense like it, your niche is like, what is this like one little corner of the world that you can monopolize, um, that you can operate from? And, um, and that's very much like find the thing that other people aren't doing 
rather than like let's all share this like single object of desire and then have a brutal contest over it so yeah like like i think i focus on eliteness and we focus on eliteness at palladium because we think it's an especially important thing to get right and we're not necessarily we're not getting it right right now um but i also want to like i i think a lot of people i see a lot of people with with an attitude towards it that is essentially a sort of a mimesis driven mm-hmm. that it it's just become their object of desire. And, and I think there's something incorrect going on there that, that we need to, I just wanted to address that. Yeah. I, I think that's a really important point and it, it makes, it just makes the problem worse. Um, if you're, you have people who only want to be there because of the prestige and right. The, are not even sort of willing to assume the other parts that come yeah. along with it. Yeah, well, it's it's entirely the wrong motivation, right? It's like y- you've got yourself into this position of power and prestige and, and influence and so on because, like, I don't know, you you somehow ended up getting raised to think that that was the thing to do, but you don't know what to do with it. It's like, you know, the dog catches the car. What does he do with it? Um, and I see this dynamic with people. They chase these leadership positions. They chase positions like entrepreneurship they chase you know the big income or whatever and they don't often have a coherent conception of what their ends are and i think it's really the ends your sort of self-defined strategic ends that are the thing to really focus on and this i guess comes back to our question of elite education is like or education in general really is like you want to form people to be able to find their own ends so that they're not just chasing other people around in the in the mimetic games yeah i think we better uh we better start to wrap up here i think we've we've had a great discussion um but we're a bit over time so if there's anything else we should talk about let's do that but otherwise uh it's been great to have you on saffron thank you so much wolf um this has been yeah this has been an awesome conversation i'm really thank you for having me on of course yeah, and I hope this is valuable to the people listening. And and Saffron, if you want to share this with the other people going through the same struggles that you were, I think I think we said some good things that would be helpful. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. That's all for now. All right. Bye.